I'm just going to let you preach for us, okay? <laughs> so I've been asked, what, uh, where did D come from? So I'll just go ahead and put that out there for you. So my real name is Dewey Hammond the Fourth. So yes, I got picked on as I was growing up. Uh, senior was taken, junior was taken, Dewey was taken, so they left me with D. So there you go. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open it to Philippians chapter 1. And I just want to uh, say, what a great meal tonight. So thank you for those of you who cooked and uh, served. What an incredible meal together, international dinner. I love the international dinner at our church. Uh, We have one on Sunday night, uh, uh, excuse me, Saturday night during our mission conference. And we get to dress up as well, so I... Saw that in your uh, correspondence with me, so I dressed up for you. This is a a, a traditional barong from the Philippines, and it's what a pastor would wear when they're preaching in the Philippines. I've been to the Philippines a lot. Ironically, the last time I went, because the Philippines has been so Americanized, I was the only one in the church service with a barong felt really awkward. Uh, So at least I can wear it here, but truth be told, they don't really wear them much anymore in the contemporary church in the Philippines. In the traditional church, I'm sure they do, but I was in a contemporary church at that time. So I dressed up for you. Hope that's okay. And what an incredible time of worship here. So thank you. Thank you for uh, sharing that with us. Awesome. Thank you very much. We're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. That's where we'll spend our time, but I really want to uh, read just one verse uh, to start our time off, and I will pray, and then we'll dig right in. So let's look at verse 5, Philippians 1, verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we do gather together as your family, your sons and daughters in Christ Jesus, and we come not because we can come into your presence because of who we are, but because you've called us into your presence through your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you great thanks tonight for what Christ has done in us, and, O Lord, for what Christ wants to do through us. I pray that you would come and meet with us during this time. I pray that you would speak to us by your word through the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, would you do what only you can do tonight? Help us to see Christ, we pray. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to uh, take a moment to imagine that it is about maybe 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning You and your family are asleep, and all of a sudden you're kind of woken up because of a noise that you hear right outside of your window, right outside of your door maybe. You wonder what it is, so you're kind of in a slumber or still somewhat groggy as you're trying to wake up, but then you realize that right outside your door, it's just your dogs barking. So... You're kind of frustrated. It's, it's not really abnormal, but it's frustrating because this is the second night that it's happened to you, that your dogs have woken you up while you're asleep. 
in the middle of the night, and so you tell them to go back to sleep, and you kind of make your way back to your bedroom, and you go back to sleep, or at least you try to get back to sleep. And then when you wake up the next morning, you walk to the front door to go take out the dogs that have kept you up all night. You want to take them on a walk, and you realize that your front gate has been broken, and your car is stolen. And that's what the dogs were barking at. This is a true story from one of our missionary couples from the church where I'm from that we support, Mike and Robin McMahon. And they're serving in Zimbabwe, Africa with Mission to the World. And they wrote to us telling us that this actually happened to them not too long ago. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of what's taking place currently in Zimbabwe. At the beginning of this year, 2019, the government more than doubled the price of fuel overnight, which has triggered these mass riots in the streets. It's a difficult place to live, to be sure. Mike and Robin have been there for a couple of years. Fortunately, they're home on a home ministry assignment right now. But if what had happened to the McMahons happened to us here, and and maybe it has happened to you, I don't know, we would be frustrated, we would be disappointed. To be sure, it would be somewhat dangerous, but we would be thankful that nothing else had happened. Nobody was harmed. But imagine what it would look like or what it would be like if you were in Africa and this happened, where you don't really know the language, The people act different, the food is different, the police are different, the process is different, everything is unfamiliar. Here, what would be frustrating and and inconvenient and scary in a different country, in a different culture, it can be extremely devastating. It can cause you to doubt yourself. It can cause you to doubt even if you should be there among these people that have treated you this way. Maybe even cause you to want to pack up and just come back home to the U.S. Friends, we must pray for our partners in the other parts of the world. And I want to submit to you this evening, we must pray for our family members in other parts of the world. This is a glimpse into where we find ourselves tonight in this text. So as we continue on this uh, school of missions with Paul... What can we learn as God's people here at Trinity, New City, about how to serve one another, about how to serve our partners, our missionaries, but ultimately how to serve the Lord? Let's begin by looking at the people who are involved here in chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 2. Take note, the people are ordinary and they're extraordinary. The people are ordinary And they are extraordinary. Verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, who is our teacher for the weekend, is the one who wrote this letter, but he wrote it from a jail cell where he was a prisoner. He had a sidekick with him, someone who was co-laboring with him, Timothy. Timothy is someone who he had spent much time with. He had discipled Timothy. He'd mentored Timothy. 
This letter is written to a church body. It's written to a group of Christians at the church in Philippi in much the same way that Mike and Robin McMahon wrote to Chestnut Mountain, the church where I'm from, much in the same way that Kathy Williams writes to you here, or even Mike and Caroline Miller, who are serving in Greece, they would write to you here. It's the same way that Paul and Timothy wrote to the church at Philippi. You know, it's been said that if you really want to understand or you really want to know how to write a support letter, you study the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. The missionary partnership that they had is beautiful. So if you're trying to figure out how do you write this support letter on this journey that you're about to take short term, study the book of Philippians. Look at their partnership. Read it over and over again, and that will be your support letter. The interesting part about the people that are involved is how they're described. Listen to how they're described. Paul and Timothy, they're, they're not described as apostles, not described as missionaries, qualified. They don't speak like they're heroes in the faith. They're not super spiritual Christians. They don't describe themselves as those who have it all together. They're described as servants. That's what they say, servants. Normal, everyday servants, kind of like you and me, right? But what makes them extraordinary is that they are servants of Christ Jesus. And the people in the church at Philippi are described as saints. Now this is quite interesting because the people that make up this church plant at Philippi, they're not necessarily the ones who you and I would think should be involved in a startup church plant. You can read about this plant in Acts chapter 16, but let's take a look at who started the church at Philippi. Lydia is one. Lydia was a very successful businesswoman, very wealthy. Another one, there was, some, there was a girl who was in, in some way bound up in some kind of slavery to a demonic spirit that was part of it. And then there was a normal working class man who was responsible to keep watch over prisoners in a jail cell. So who do we have who makes up this church at Philippi? We have the wealthy, the crazy, and the ordinary. They make up the church plant. But what makes them extraordinary is that they are saints in Christ Jesus. We'll get to this in just a few minutes, but I want to make this clear tonight. When we get to verse 6... No matter where you are spiritually this evening, no matter where you are, verse 6 says this, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're swimming in the wealth of idolatry. Maybe you're swimming in the idolatry of wealth, excuse me. Maybe you're bound up in some type of gross sin this evening. Or maybe you're just disappointed in the mundane and the mediocrity. You know, your life is just mediocre. And maybe that's disappointing to you. Wherever you are, please know that Jesus came for you and me. And he was slaughtered on a cross to free us from all our sins. And we can stand confidently this evening as saints in Christ Jesus. Without God and the finished work of his son Jesus on the cross, we cannot stand and we cannot partner with others to take his message to a lost and dying world. So the people are ordinary, 
and extraordinary. But let's continue on. The partnership, it's familiar, but it's also unheard of. Let's look at verses 3 through 5 and then 7 through 8. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Drop down to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Stephen Hawthorne tells of a story. He talks about when he was attending a mission conference a few years ago. He visited this church and he was there for their annual mission conference. And the the pastor of the church was interviewing this star missionary couple. And by his questioning of this couple, it was quite clear that the couple was, they were just kind of having a hard time in their new country. There was no running water, no familiar food where they were, no TV, no opportunity for their kids to play recreational sports like in America, all the necessities that we have to have. There began to be somewhat of a superficial sympathy that was coming over the audience as the pastor was interviewing this couple. And so the audience was beginning to somewhat feel sorry for this couple. And so the pastor, or Stephen Hawthorne says, you could almost hear the people thinking, how could such nice, ordinary people allow God to ruin their lives so drastically? So the pastor knew that the couple was being admired, but also pitied at the same time. And this is what the pastor said. He said, three years ago, they were normal people just like you, but now look at them. The audience kind of stared, kind of like you are at me right now. And the the couple was dressed in their pale, baggy robes of their country where they served, and they looked really odd. So one of the missionaries, as they were being interviewed, realized the awkwardness here of the moment, and he, he took the microphone. He wanted to lighten up the mood, and this is what he said. He said what another pastor had told him and his wife three years earlier as they got ready to leave the airport. This is what that pastor said. I'm glad you're going because I don't have to. The audience kind of broke out in a nervous laughter. They didn't know whether they should laugh or shouldn't. And Hawthorne comments, he said, It was almost as if the couple were missionary heroes for hire. They were the few and the true who were willing to go anywhere that God would call them to go so that the rest of the church could slide by doing whatever they wanted to do. So the faith promise would be raised for the missionaries, but this may have been a way to help people buy their way out of missions instead of buying their way into missions. So what's the easiest way in America to get out of missions? Well, we'll just pay somebody else to do it. Or we'll just let somebody else go for us. But God never intended for missions to be an isolated enterprise. His intention was not just for just a few people to be involved because they were the ones who were qualified. On the contrary, God desires that we would all be involved in spreading the fame of his name to the lost world, to the nations. 
A partnership is never successful if only one side carries the load. If only one side carries the weight, eventually that side will give out when they give so much. The original word here is koinonia. You might have heard it. It can be translated fellowship or participation. James Boyce says this about koinonia. It's a sharing in something or participating in something greater than the people involved, more lasting than the activity of any given moment, being caught up into a communion created by God. This type of fellowship or partnership can be familiar with every single one of us. You can have this fellowship or this partnership with Aaron and Rachel Halpert in Honduras. You can have it with Calvin and Gita in Southeast Asia. You read their newsletters, you know their families, you know their ministries, you pray for them, you support them financially. Let me tell you, Calvin and Gita need our prayers as they serve in Southeast Asia. I was there with them last April and I saw it in their faces. They need us to pray for them. The things that they are facing as a team are overwhelming. They need us to pray. What they're doing there, if the government finds out what they're doing, uh, Gita will be sent to prison and Calvin will be kicked out of the country. Not only in the ministry do they need us to pray for them, but Even their daughter, their daughter Karuna has just left and come to Covenant College to go to school as a freshman. Could you imagine growing up in Southeast Asia your whole life, 18 years you've been there, you've only been to America a few times for home ministry assignment, and then all of a sudden you go to a school in America where everything's different? Praise the Lord, she's doing good there in her freshman year. But we need to pray for them. We need to pray for her and and for her brother, Nathan, as he comes to covenant next year. And you know, some of you probably are in the same situation. You have kids going off to college, and you're praying for them the same way that you can be praying for Calvin and Gita and Karuna. But let's listen to the words that Paul uses as he describes this partnership that he and Timothy have with the Philippians. He uses the word thankfulness, joy, affection. He says, I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you all with affection. This is a fellowship that is bigger than any one of us in isolation. And take a look at at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, the partnership is better and sweeter when it begins at the beginning. Our church just sent out a family to serve in Berlin. And you'll see them in this next slide, the Moors who are serving in Berlin, in Germany. When I first started at our church at Chestnut Mountain, he was in fifth grade and his wife was in fourth grade. Uh, Obviously, they were not married at that time. (laughs) I was the youth pastor to Brian and Megan, I discipled Brian, met with him one-on-one for years. My wife discipled Megan, met with her one-on-one for years. I took them on trips all around the world. We spent the most time in the Philippines. Uh, One short-term mission journey, we were in the Philippines, they fell in love. And uh, I was able to take part in marrying them. But it even goes back before me, right? Because I've only been there a certain amount of time. These, These kids were born there. 
People at Chestnut Mountain changed their diapers. <laughs> they taught them in children's church. Do you think our church prays for them? You better believe we pray for them because they're part of us. They're part of us. They're the partnership that we have. They're an extension of us in Germany. And this is why the partnership is unheard of. We're not talking about just some random people that kind of show up every few years at a conference. God doesn't want our partnerships to be like that in missions. God desires for us to be connected, to know the missionaries, to fellowship with the missionaries, to care for them, to shepherd them. When Trinity sends out her own people, just like JP and Laurie and Kathy and Ellen, when they send them out, that's the kind of partnership that Paul's talking about here. Maybe some of you are heading that way, or maybe they're down the hall at the kids' time right now. Those are the ones that will be going in 10 years. That's when we'll start to understand, when we send our own people, the partnership that Paul and Timothy are talking about. When we understand our missionaries are our family, an extension of our church body, we'll begin to pray as God wants us to pray for them when they're on the field. Let's continue. The prayer that Paul prays. How does he pray? Verses 9 through 11. It's simple, but it's life-changing as well. 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Simply put, this is the way Paul was praying for the Philippians, that their love would abound more and more, that they would love one another more, that they would have knowledge, that they would have godly discernment, that they would be pure and blameless, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness in all their doings. Verses 9 through 11 is a great guide for you and I to pray for one another, for our families. Here's the thing, we, there's, there's really no way that we can tell that our missionaries are praying for us back at, at home. But be encouraged, I read tons of missionary newsletters, as you do too, I'm sure. And almost at the end of every one of those, they'll ask, how can we pray for you? Do you respond to them? If you don't, you should. How can we pray for you? Let us know how we can pray for you. They know, the missionaries know, that the best partnerships are those that are communicating back and forth. The servants become the saints, and the saints become the servants. So how can the saints at Trinity become the servants of the missionaries by praying for them? Well, a few things. Practically, maybe you begin a missionary prayer group, a cell group that meets together, a small group. Maybe you're already doing that. Maybe you begin a ministry of prayer walking. There's a, a teenage girl in the church at our church who started walking around the church on Wednesday nights at about 6 o'clock. We'd have youth group at 6.30. She would start walking at 6 and just praying for missionaries. And soon, more people were walking with her. More people, more people. Prayer walking ministry before Wednesday night church. Maybe it's a pr men's prayer night, a, a day of prayer and fasting for the nations, a small group. Maybe it's just at home in your bedroom by yourself. The point is, the servants become the saints and the saints become the servants. Finally, God gives the growth. Not only in the partnership does that grow, 
But the body here at Trinity will grow. And especially you personally will grow. Look at verse 6. It's so good. Verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know everybody here, but I'll say this. If you're a non-Christian here this evening, I I don't know, you, you found your way here somehow, you were invited by someone, I don't know. But you need to know that God doesn't make mistakes. You're here for a reason. You are here for a reason. God brought you here, and he makes no mistakes. Second, you probably recognize that everyone prays in some way, shape, or form, even if they don't know or understand who they're praying to. So if you're here this evening and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't know that he's forgiven you of your sins, you do need to know that he wants to begin a good work in your life. And he wants to bring it to completion. Don't pray to anyone else. Pray to the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and ask him to reveal himself to you. And he will. He promises. He's the only one who can change your heart of stone to a heart of flesh that loves him. He's the only one who can make the blind to see. He's the only one who can make the dead sinner come to life. And he's the only one who gives the growth. So, Christian, if you're looking to grow... You need to rest in the promise of God. He's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. He began a good work in your life, and he will complete it. If you're like me, and you don't pray like you ought to, or even like you want to, he began a good work in your life, and he'll complete it. If you're not concerned about God's name being trumpeted to the lost and dying of the nations, God began a good work in your life, And he'll complete it. If you're at work or you're at school and you don't have a clue how to talk to anybody about Jesus, God began a good work in your life and he's going to complete it. Maybe you're just simply struggling to make it through the week. Just to make it through tomorrow. God began a good work in your life and he'll complete it. Claim the promise of God. Ask him to work in your life. Understand that he's the only one that gives the growth. Because without God, we cannot. And without us, God will not. I want to close with this story. Uh, You might be familiar with it when you hear these names. Lucy and the others finally arrived at a spot where they could stop and rest for the night. The, poor, the four Pimvises and Trumpkin had been searching for a Prince Caspian for a while, and they knew at some point in the near future that they would meet back up with the evil Miraz. So after a long day of backtracking and running away from the Telemarine army, they settled in for the night, and one by one they started to doze off to go to sleep. They slept under the stars. Suddenly, Lucy, the little girl, woke up out of the deepest sleep you can imagine, C.S. Lewis writes, with the feeling that the voice she liked best in the world had been calling her name. Lucy came the call again. Neither her father's voice nor Peter's, her brother's voice, she sat up trembling with excitement, but not with fear. So Lucy got up and started walking toward this voice, that was calling her through the forest landscape and the trees that were strangely moving as if they were dancing. The voice was beyond the trees. 
And she finally saw him. He was there, the huge lion, shining white in the moonlight, with his huge black shadow underneath him. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment, and the next thing she knew, she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, Lucy said, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one. Not because you are? Aslan said, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Friends, I believe this is a picture of God's people praying and trusting God to give growth in our mission partnerships. When we make it through the forest and the trees of life, everyday life, and we approach our great God, our Lord and Savior, it's as if Lucy has found the great Aslan. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when we pray, God gives the growth. He grows bigger. We grow in our faith and in our lives as his name is carried to the nations. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you that you desire us to have these partnerships with your people who are spread all throughout the world. Father, not some random connections with people that we really don't know, but those who are our family members who are out doing your work among people that you have called by name to be yours. So, Father, I pray that you would burden our hearts to pray for your workers across the world. And Lord, we trust that as we do that, you would grow us in our faith. You would grow us in our understanding of who you are, that you would be the mighty God that we serve. Lord, do it in our lives, we pray. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.